Welcome everybody to this talk sponsored by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new here, um, IWP is a school of, a graduate school, excuse me, of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We offer a doctoral program, seven master's degree programs, including two that are online, 18 certificates, a graduate study, uh, and a whole packet uh, that gears students towards national security, international affairs, and intelligence. If you are interested in learning more about us, please feel free uh, to speak to any of our staff members, including myself, uh, or visit iwp.edu after the talk. To support the work of IWP, please visit iwp.edu backslash donate. Before we begin the lecture, we ask that you take a moment to silence all electronic devices, just so they don't interrupt with the program. Today we'll be hearing from Mr. Arthur Kwan Lee, who will deliver a lecture entitled The Politics of Classical Aesthetics, Natural Law, and Conflicts in Art. Arthur Kwan Lee is a Korean-American painter whose gestural mark making harmonizes expressive color palettes with world mythologies. His work has won awards from George Washington University, the Korean Artists Association, the Corcoran Gallery of Art, thunder's really coming down, and most recently the inaugural title of Artist of the Year by the Eileen Kaminsky Family Foundation. Lee draws inspiration from a broad range of sources, including Jungian psychoanalysis, local religious traditions, and his lifelong commitment to martial arts. Prior to developing a love for painting, Lee was a Division I athlete who placed in the U.S. Taekwondo Nationals for three consecutive years. Lee has carried this martial intensity into his artwork, where it is translated into large-scale works and a diversity of dynamic brushstrokes. The resulting compositions attest to an artist who uses his entire body to paint symbolically evocative works that contain oblique references to archetypal myths from around the world. Luminous colors, gestural expressionism, and philosophical acumen bring a refreshing sentiment to art that draws our sometimes compartmentalized and fractured times into a synthetic representative whole. Please welcome Mr. Arthur Kwanley. Thank you guys. So um, my talk is gonna be a lot more different than all the content that I was seeing on the IWP YouTube page. And also the title may not be as analogous as, you know, um, may not be in line as much as the content that I'm gonna cover. Because I'm speaking at the Institute of World Politics, I thought I'd delve into something very different, but I think it's very important. So once again, my name is Arthur Conley. I won 2020 International Artist of the Year by the Alianis Kaminsky Family Foundation. But an interesting part of my journey was I was also blacklisted by most of the Lower East Side for having, for having the wrong opinions. So um, rather than emptily repeat this mantra that politics is dancing from culture, uh, I'm really big on trying to inspire others to participate in the culture wars and influence from a different place, which is the arts and entertainment. Okay, so art is dangerous. Um, good art will make a moral statement and it'll either take shape as propaganda or iconography. And what I'm gonna be showing you is that at the lowest form, art is a political tool to brainwash, right? And at the highest end, it's a distillation of our values. And my main diagnosis will be that when the creative class does not create morally in line art, see, this is how important it is. <laughs> Uh, when, when the artists do not produce art that is morally in line with the culture's values, the state will inevitably use them as an armor propaganda. And I'm going to show this historically. 
So when you look at the ancients, the way they produced art, it was always pointing upward, right? So I want to get into the fact that regardless of your disposition, much like being religious, aesthetics is something that you cannot get rid of, right? So it's best to be conscious of it, to be a more complete beast. And often when people tell me they're not interested in aesthetics, they're actually usually very uh, machismo men. And what I'm noticing is that they're saying this, but they're like possessed by this aesthetic ideal. Like they look like bodybuilders almost, right? So, so, so they don't have the substance to appreciate this, but it's important to understand that you need to have a grasp of aesthetics and be conscious, conscientious of all this. There's a quote here I want to read by Cleric Richard John Nahas, which is that culture is the root of politics and religion is the root of culture. Now, I'm not going to say that all artists need to produce spiritual art, but it's not a coincidence that all the greatest masterpieces are undergirded by religious subject matter. And that's something to understand. There's a pattern there. So in contrast, modern art, this is the world I come from, right? Today, the modern art climate is everything you can get away with, right? At the highest, at the highest end, it's really five galleries, which is Marion Goodman Gallery, Pace, Gagosian, Hosnerworth, and um, David Zwerner. And it's two auction houses, right? It's Sotheby's and Christie's. And I sort of want to demystify that world to remystify the role of the artist. And look, essentially what's happening is that you're really looking at Hong Kong, London, and New York. So on the left, we have universal standards, which is basically what the art industry was from time immemorial. On the right is what we have today, which is aesthetic relativity, because that is basically what's occurring in the art world. The modern art world today is this pyramid was created by this very exclusive and concentrated elite. So at the top, we have that, that, those five galleries. In the middle tier, that's where I have most of my clout. That's where all the vetting happens, and it's really a channel of cultural Marxism, where there's actual legitimate artisans in contrast to that, though. And I would say this is, you know, it's probably around majority of solo exhibitions, group shows, and, and festivals are over here. And then way down at the bottom, you have actual art appreciation, right? It's sort of a pseudo version of the logos. And so everything from the critique, art history courses, art collectives, you know, in the West we call food for the soul, is sort of frivolously dismissed as secondary, all the way at the end. So the mainstream art industry is not even about art. And this has to change. Now the problem is that it's actually totally upside down, and I, I look at it as a sort of satanic inversion. It's all flipped today. And it'll be my contention that people who are aware of who want to preserve the West need to actually support these artists. So when you look at the ancients across all civilizations, they regarded truth, good, reason, and beauty as their fundamental building blocks. And you know, notice that beauty is up there. Usually when I say the word beauty, a lot of people get it confused with hotness. So when I say beauty, they're thinking of ranking the opposite sex on a 1 to 10 rating scale or something of the sort. But when you study the ancients, what they mean by beauty is the sacred, as, true, as pure beauty. 
And our society is getting more polarized and antithetical. Um, and as this happens, just, you know, it's worth as a reminder that we've all been here before, uh, how every empire will fall from the inside out when the men become spoiled from the fruits of their fathers. And then that same toxicity ventriculates onto the creative class. And you'll see this because artists will become a spreader of vanity rather than the preserver of truth. I'm very hot, guys. I'm going to take off my suit and talk in my t-shirt. That's okay. So I like the original quote by Joseph Campbell. It says, myths are so intimately bound to culture, time, and place that unless the symbols, the metaphors are kept alive by constant recreation through the arts, the life just slips away from them. This is the ideal role of an artist. They are supposed to be creating modern versions of these universal archetypes. And there's patterns here. So I want to do like a, a little art education test with you all. We're going to look at a series of works by one of the most known painters in human history. And, and they're going to be primarily architectural works. At 18 years of age, he ambitiously moved to the art capital of the world, which at the time was Vienna. It was here this young artist dedicated his life towards the pursuit of the aesthetic ideal. And he spent all his time sketching and submitting his works to very respected establishments all across the country. When you look at his composition, you can tell that the very setting of Vienna was an inspiration, right? This very time consuming, just by the layers of looking at this. And he has, definitely has this adoration for architectural imagery. So all of these works are either in watercolor or oils, right? Those are two different mediums. It's not like if you learn acrylic, you can paint in oils and water, right? So it shows a real dedication and breadth. And tragically, at the end of this artist's career, he destroyed two-thirds of his work because he felt that it was more mechanized and cathartic. And um, this underlying disappointment of what he could have produced. So does anyone know the artist that I'm referring to? Absolutely. This is a smart room, by the way. Um, it's really kitschy to extrapolate the, the a comparative analysis to the Nazis, I understand, but whether it's the poetry of Joseph Stalin and Mao, the cinematography of Kim Jong-il, the paintings of Francisco Franco, all of these tyrants, they knew how to utilize a creative class to normalize with, with the culture, that is. So they knew how to utilize the training of the artist to shape culture in one way or in another. And yes, some of you are thinking now that the Nazis are masters of propaganda, absolutely, but what I want to do first is do a deep dive into the artistic career of Adolf Hitler. I want to look at his career as a painter. So we're not going to focus so much on this, this Puritan desire, right? Um, we're not going to talk about the systematic genocide. We're going to look at the, the evolution of the artist being used through the, for the Nazis here. So this text was appropriated by this man, Jörg Lanz. So Chamberlain's argument in the foundations of the 19th century is actually worth having, right? 
but it was appropriated by Lanz, and he goes further, putting this bloodthirst in conjunction to his argument. Uh, and what he begins to do by this logo here, this is a very occult logo, but he starts getting a lot of young dissident artists together. So everyone's here with me so far, right? So here's where it gets interesting. In 1909, Lanz is visited by a 20-year-old painter, Adolf Hitler, and he's invited to become a member of the Thule Society. Thule is what these morally inline group of artists become, and given their penchant for erratic performance art and installation art, they began garnering attention from very important social circles in agreement with their philosophy. Like I can tell you personally, I've been invited to so many galas and fundraisers and political events just because I create large-scale art that is often patriotic at that, you know, preservation of the West. So there is something that is, I can really relate to in this regard. And this is something Lon's captured. So in consistent collaboration with this inner council, Hitler discovered this very important lesson on control, that the process of normalization is done through the artist. The German streets are then strategically covered with propagandistic posters illustrated by the artist in Thule, with the targeted intention of spiraling a cultural movement, which they successfully catapulted. And it brought this vitriol and disdain to be justified in the German people. If you look at these two posters here, one is a graphic, graphic artist and the other is a charcoal portrait. Well, these are two different artists. They're, they're hitting all these different strokes, right? These are all different artists here. So this phenomena happened sort of like the analogy of the boiling frog, right? Except the, the, the raising temperature is more derogatory public imagery. So the, the white propaganda becomes black propaganda. And posters like these were plastered everywhere and it made it okay to psychologically and physically harass, harass non-German people to be openly vilified. So look at this photo here. Look how dramatic this photo is, right? So Rudolf Hess pushes Hitler to focus his attentions to becoming an orator and to be the primary spokesman of Thule. And at this point, Hitler's philosophy of Aryan mysticism with the prejudices of his youth begin to take shape here. So the Thule Society then funds Hitler's exposure into dramatic plays, theater productions, public speaking, and public political events. And there's a dozen of these photos where there's a photographer capturing him in a the theater with high lighting and contrast. I mean, these, you know, um, he's mastering his aesthetics here. Hitler then visits the house of classical composer and theater director Richard Wagner through the connections of Thule. His childhood hero, and he regarded him as a supreme leader and prophet of the German people. So Hitler then watches Wagner's play Parsifal, and there's this clear romantically displayed distinction in front of him where the German people are looked at as sacred and all non-German races are descendants of apes. And this is the moment Hitler was reborn and gained this conviction because he saw an artistic vision crystallize in front of him. So this is very powerful stuff. And he writes that the final solution was an attempt to make Parsifal a reality. So immediately, the first thing Hitler does, literally, is close down Bauhaus. So Bauhaus today is a progressive center of postmodern art. You know, they had Lazlo Moholanagi, Paul Klee, and Wassily Kandinsky as their original artists 
their most famous artist, so that kind of makes sense. But the inception of what Bauhaus was as an institution, it was a place for people to actually learn classical pedagogical standards of art. They would go take figure drawing classes, they learn about color theory, they actually gain these technical skills. I mean, look how cool they look, right? Like they kind of dressed in uniform at that. And these artists were not only against the current Ger German government at the time, but the very existence of Bauhaus stood as a prominent opportunity and possibility as a counterculture against national socialism. And uh, obviously, unfortunately, this competition was not allowed for Thule. That same year, inspired by the successful shutting down of Bauhaus, works of literature, philosophy, art, and science considered un-German are burned. In the words of celebrated German poet Heinrich Heine, where books are burned, there too people will burn, with the ultimate goal of a forced declaration to reshape culture and an ominous display of things to come. Should any of us have been surprised when all the school boards in Tennessee, they banned the graphic novel Mouse? Right? It's probably one of the most effective ways to teach your child about this tragedy. More recently, Dr. Jordan Peterson was compared to Red Skull in more recent publishings of Captain America. So you have America's first hero, the first Avenger, striking Adolf Hitler in the face to hail lobster and the Ten Rules for Life. So I want you to do a little imaginary exercise with me here. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of some of these artists. Imagine you are one of those artists that I mentioned. Whether you're in Bauhaus or you're not, you're an artist that is just dedicated to your emotional truth. You're not thinking about what they call community guidelines in social media today, right? Um, which they control. You're just thinking about your own creative voice in your discipline. So you're not, what, what is it called? Um, the community guidelines are you're not trying to spread fake news, um, racist, sexist, racism, sexism, homophobic, you know, all, all of that. Or um, you're not threatening any kind of violence. You're just an artist in your own studio. Now imagine you get a knock at your door from the police and are arrested for making such work, fired from any employment position held and publicly defamed by the mainstream media. Now imagine after all that, there's an exhibition announced across all major broadcasts in Germany on an art show designed to ridicule and debase, to display the cultural traitors of Germany. Citizens are invited to the degenerate art exhibition in 1937, to be insulted, to be ultimately and shamefully canceled. This exhibition was shown across Germany for four years to an estimated four million attendees. So if you're a rock star artist at that time and even today in New York City, you might get a show for three months, right? So four years, that's an agenda. And, and I will say while I'm on the subject, I personally do agree that the majority of modern art holds no cultural value generally. And I know we're looking back in retrospect and usually the attraction to abstraction is a cop out. We're not having the necessary discipline and skills to paint properly generally speaking as an artist, but I'm, I'm trying to speak from a bird's eye view here. Let's, let's keep in mind the nuance 
of the, the genius curation that was done because anything that's being that they were doing here can be utilized for better or for worse. And I often say that it's important for the right to think like the left. And I know we're not all right-leaning here, but I am, which is why it reminds me of my canceled friends and I. You know, I lost all six of my art dealers for disagreeing with their Marxism. And I lost all my social media platforms last month, and I just got some of them back recently. They can essentially snap your relevance out of existence if you do not agree with the dominant narrative and have a reasonable following. So I'm showing you all this because it's an important study on dominating the attention market. Right? Do not let those who are not in line with their philosophy in positions of power, including as their rock star artist. All the gatekeepers and curators must be part of your club. And this same strategy is happening in real time today. So I want to make a very bold statement now, moving forward, which is that beauty will either expose the hypocrisy of your enemies or the wisdom of your allies. Because all you have to do is look at the confiscated collection of the Nazis to see some of their highest tier masterpieces around the world that were very non-German. And they were in, in temperature controlled <laughs> cargo, like they're very well kept. Hitler personally regarded these paintings as a great source of religious power. Meanwhile, one of the prerequisites to joining the Thule Society was an outward declaration against Catholicism. So do as I say, not as I do, right? So let's go to the next part of this story here. Remember, the Thule Society was not just visual artists. They were actors, filmmakers, photographers, and also comedians. So who here has heard of Lord Haha? -Ha? Perfect. So this is William Joyce. He's an American Irish supporter of fascism. And he was very known for his comedically strong accent, and he was pulling huge ratings. Look at him as like a Dave Chappelle, right? He was a rock star comedian. And the Nazis discovered his underlying intense passion for Marxism. So Hitler had Joseph Goebbels contact him to secretly work as a propaganda branch during his hours broadcasting during the war by... Um, Blending, and we'll get into blending shortly. So Goebbels understood that if you can entertain people and share even demonic hatred for others wrapped artistically, the masses will normalize it for you. This is why degenerate behavior on social media like TikTok and Snapchat go viral, because there's a beautiful soundtrack behind it or because they're dressed flashily, right? It's, it's, there's no difference here. So some of these artists have a larger following to influence than every media outlet combined times 10. Like, that is power. And I can tell with Beyonce, she has 268 million followers alone on only Instagram. Or The Rock has 328 million followers, right? So the same reason Hillary Clinton does a concert with Jay-Z is the same reason comedian William Joyce was utilized. It's the monopoly of attention. And I believe that those who are conscientious of economic truths, like the Institute of World Politics, you guys should actually spend time rubbing shoulders and, and commingling with influential creative talent because the artists reign supreme in the attention market. You know, one political post from any of these artists can flip the script more than any information-dense podcast, community outreach, you know, 
conference, what have you, um, they are able to use seduction and charisma, which is far more effective than data. So let me read you the last words of William Joyce. In death as in life, I defy the Jews who caused this last war, and I defy the power of darkness which they represent. I warn the British people against the crushing imperialism of the Soviet Union. May Britain be great once again, and in the hour of the greatest danger in the West, may the standard be raised from the dust crowned with the words, you have conquered nevertheless. This is the main part. I am proud to die for my ideals, and I am sorry for the sons of Britain who have died without knowing why. I mean, we don't need to imagine what would happen if somebody who cares about the West spoke up with that influence as well. Because they call Kanye crazy, psycho, a coon, yada, yada, this, that, and the other. And I've had this as a, as a microcosm in the New York City circuit as well. And I know too many artists who've dealt with this experience. So blending is basically a propaganda term that's the fusion of truth and lies. In other words, if I'm, let's say I'm a reporter, and there's a wildfire in Colorado, and I say that that wildfire was caused falsely by white supremacists, then you'll hear that half-truth, but the fears and anxieties of the wildfire basically validate the imaginary racist. Here are the modern William Joyce's in all the narcissism. Late night during your hours of leisure, the, in your relaxed state, the debasement of the West is presented in front of you via political junk food and confirmation bias, posturing as humorous intellectual commentary. I believe that late night comedians do way more damage than any of these media outlets just by the ratings and numbers that they pull. Or another joke, speaking of which, and this is obvious, but all they do is blend and fear monger. But I'm mentioning CNN because I think that the George Floyd phenomena is a perfect modern parallel of what happens when you're, not, when you're not conscious of your religious artistry. It will manifest elsewhere. So let's look at some modern parallels here. When you step back and look at the manner of how these protests took shape in the first place, once again, in the absence of a religious aesthetic in the dominant culture, we experience the unconscious uh, ceremony of St. Floyd. It, it's just about knowing the pattern and understanding it. You know, upon Floyd's death, we had an article by the American Magazine comparing Christ's crucifixion to Floyd as a martyr. And finally, we had multiple posters and creative interpretations of Floyd as an icon. You know, we had thousands of men and women visiting his murals, kneeling and praying for him. It's the deification of a convicted drug addict criminal, though. And once again, it's because these aesthetics were effectively utilized by the perversion of morality. And I'm going to say once again, it's either propaganda or iconography. You know, your art should either point up, like Bezalel and Exodus almost. Your art should point upwards, or it's going to stay down to push out relativism. And it reminds me of this religious ceremony, which has all started because of the Thule Society which was intentionally designed as a social circle for a political and financial elite to congregate with talented artists. And that is brilliant. That is brilliant. And this is the roots behind Hitler's conquest, and it is mainline German history. 
So let's look at the modern dual society, arguably. If you want to see where the anti-American elite hang out, look at the art world. This is a photo of the art and embassies program. And there's certain families from the Rothschilds, Podestas, the Clintons, of course, to name the obvious characters. Um, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but you can look at their relationship to the Terramur project that is run by Ghislaine Maxwell. So it's important to say that the, the separation of artistic legitimacy and measurable economic value is how this phenomenon is born in the first place. Because if people are educated on real art, you know, in the eyes of God, dare I say, then the emperor is not only naked, but red with humiliation. So let's change gears here. This is the Pieta by Michelangelo, of course. I mean, this speaks for itself when we talk about beauty. The history of the Pieta is also very revealing. and It's a modern parallel once again, um, or a parallel from the past, excuse me. So there's a spicy man by the name of Donato Bramante, and he was responsible for demolishing the chapel of Santa Petronilla, which is where the Pieta was residing. And he's a very stubborn, inflexible man, and his whole interpretation was that people should not worship art the same way God should be worshipped. So he had thousands of artwork destroyed, but he secretly preserved the Pieta. Because once again, beauty will expose the hypocrisy or wisdom of one. I'll give you a modern, um, another example in World War II, when they were going to drop the nuclear bomb on Japan, who was on the list? Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and Kyoto. You know, Kyoto has all that beautiful architecture and the aesthetic mastery, all these beautiful statues at that. And, you know, for that to be destroyed, that would be a tragedy. So many of the wise men, of course, one got credit, but many of the wise men stood and said that we, we have to remove Kyoto off the list. Because if we lose our sense of humanity, we lose our sense of beauty, we lose our sense of humanity. And that's very profound. So you see this over and over again. Here's a very good example for that's more relevant. A film like Braveheart has done more for this country's morale than, than really anything, you know? <laughs> um, it, I mean, I understand it's about Scotland, but just think about what this film has done for our sense of tradition, masculinity, and honor, you know? So there's so much power, cultural power, in utilizing um, the artist to spread your values. So we need to find more morally inclined artists to support and patronize, patronize in this culture war. Because beauty is on our side. And as I wrote here, beauty is much more convincing than reason. You know, because with beauty, there's really no point of debating. It's literally pointless. You know, it speaks for itself. It's like a stench from something toxic, right? It's, it's ugly. So we have beauty on our side, and I think it's a very important tool to utilize. In other words, the right pushed out all of its creatives and focused on making money for, so, for several decades. Now the people that hate them create the art, music, and films that control the dreamscapes of all your progeny. It's very ineffective. Now we're going to look at some of the modern um, world tour artists. 
that are venerated and doing world tour exhibitions here. This is called The Equivalent by Carl Andre. The originator, Marcel Duchamp. And once again, these works by their own declaration are the heavyweights. I understand there's a bold and daring component to Pollock, but ultimately, it's, it's not at the same standard as the masters before us. And some of it is just plainly sick. You know, this is Marina Abramovich. She's literally a Satanist witch. This is by Kim Noble, and she has literally been trying to normalize pedophilia. And she gets world tours, and she's collected by a lot of people on the radical left. And the process will always be the same. Change the language with social proof from the creative class. The comedian. So you get the idea, right? It's very preposterous, it's trivial. But when you look at the Pieta, in contrast, how do you go from the divulging of the logos, the encapsulation of the sublime, rendition of some of our deepest archetypal truths to a banana duct taped to a wall that sells for $150,000 in our basil? Well, it's because as the Russians say, a fish rolls from the head down. And this is more popularly expressed as politics is downstream from culture, but it's a hugely revealing cultural issue that we the people even accept that garbage is anything but insulting to our intelligence. And it, once again, it's because our aesthetic standards have plummeted. So I'm going to read you a quote by one of my heroes, Roger Scruton. When art becomes merely shock value, our sense of humanity is slowly degraded. The culture of a civilization is the art and literature through which it rises the consciousness of itself and defines its vision of the world. So what we obviously need is some of our artists in the mainstream without walking the roads that have been so corruptly designed. Um, we need to step our game up, and we need to start patronizing some of these artists to create art that represents our values and to put it into the mainstream. So I started the Genesis Council. It's an art collective, you know, once again, across the board, not just visual artists. We have filmmakers, photographers, writers all across the board. And I was inspired by the Thule Society. But in turn, our whole notion is to save the West. But we're creating artwork that can stand up for what's right, essentially. And as far as I can see, we're the Rebel Alliance. There's really no, <laughs> there's not any other collective doing this sort of thing. So that said, though, there's very few of us publicly speaking up. And most of us are closeted. And I just want to encourage you all to support any of your artists who believe in tradition and classical beauty and dare I say God. You know, uh, what is the saying that tradition is not the worshiping of ashes but the preservation of fire? Well, that fire is dwindling and it's about time we fuel it. Save the West. Thank you.
Thank you, Mr. Lee. Uh, we will open the floor up now to questions from the audience. I've always thought that one of the purposes of art was to make people see in a new way, to open their eyes. And neither could you really not do that. Something can just not really be Who determines whether it is purely Well, I mean, you got to understand that right now, if you go to New York City right now, you go to the Lower East Side of Soho, you know, I would say two thirds of those art galleries, um, there's no technical skill associated with it. It's, it's a political statement almost. And, you know, of course, often when an ideology hits the creative process, it immediately lowers its value. But we can still, you know, I would say it's the pedagogical standards. Because when I see the tech, there's no technique associated with a lot of this art today. And that is really the problem. You know, um, Tom Wolfe wrote this in The Painted Word. And he predicted that this was gonna occur. He's an American cultural critic. And for some reason, it's like, you know, if, uh, if, there's, if we go to see a dance play together and a dancer falls on her face, but the demands for us to look at it as bold and daring, that wouldn't happen, right? So it's the absence of technical standards in the art world today. Is there a question? Okay, is there a question to that? Yeah, it, it, it's, of, it's of my belief that all the greatest works, and then this is 
you know, whether you go to the Met and you look at the Timeless Classics, one of the texts, like all the greatest works were always religious in nature. And this is something that I've noticed. And a lot of people from more recently, Jordan Peterson, Curtis Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, a lot of these people have been noticing that in art history. And it's, it's something that needs to be further articulated. And that is of my belief. And it, I don't say, I'm not saying it has to be Judeo-Christian art, but um, the standards are just higher. The, the, the technical work at that, formalistically speaking, as an artist, the layering process itself of some of these religiously derived art is way more difficult as a puzzle than some of the art that you see today. <laughs> Do we have any more questions from the, oh, yes ma'am. Sure. Thule, Thule Society, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, so, so the Thule Society, I mean, again, I'll, I'll be quick. The Thule Society was basically an art collective that, you know, was designed to spread certain values. With, with certain, you know, philosophically minded people. You know, it, it was like a think tank, but it was really a place as a catalyst for artists. And in turn, I, I've met so many people who've dealt with cancel culture or big tech censorship across the board, and we basically kind of came together. And I started an art collective originally just because I wanted to meet other painters who wanted to preserve Western values. But what happened in turn is filmmakers contacted me, writers contacted me, um, so we have so many members now who have dealt with the same experience. And its bottom line is, is because today the dominant narrative and the traditional pathways for artists are so toxic. So um, these alternative channels are being born for a reason. And it's not just mine. The Genesis Council is definitely the most bold in many ways, but that's the intention behind the council. Just a place for people who are not a part of the sociological norm. Um, to come together and make work that is uh, in reverence to, to, to the West. I mean, so I can speak for myself because we have so many different artists in the council. This is a broad question you're asking me. But I can tell you for myself, like, I'm a Christian and I love, I love America. So for me, when I produce my art, um, artists are similarities of what they love and what they believe in. So I do want to present these, um, the aesthetics that represent those values for me. The most important, yeah. As a part of the people that are so massively dominant or tangible. And, you know, 10 by 10 canvas and then pass that along as something. Is that how you 
So I, I, there's a, a friend of mine. She's doing very well as a painter. Um, but we're having a dinner together, and this conversation came up. She basically told me, just, just honestly, Arthur, you know, what do you think of my work? And just talking as an artist to another artist, I just told her, I said, listen, I could master what you do within maybe a month because she's throwing paints in a certain way. And I said, I'll give you a year to do what I do. Would you take that bet? She wouldn't take that bet. Because the reality is, is that it's harder. It's, it's like, you know, there's, there's different levels to it. And the same with there's, there's different levels in sports. And I know people like to just throw relativism. It's all different. It's all, it, it's all relative. But at the end of the day, there are techniques and skills that have been utilized throughout history. And I, I believe that we have to return to those so that the art stays beautiful. Widely? Widely? Widely. Chris Wiley? Huh? Is it Chris Wiley? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, if they're actually using that tech, the like the actual technical skill, then I can respect it. That's my point. Um, I mean, there's abstract abilities that I appreciate, but often it's, um, and again, I've been a part of a lot of different art collectives, a lot of abstract art, it's, I mean, kids can do a lot of this stuff, you know? And they can say, no, they can't. Yes, yes, they can. Okay, Hindi Wiley, okay. Yeah, she's good. She's got her own way, yeah. Yes? That's amazing. I'd love to see that, yeah. Well, it isn't installed yet because it takes years and it's taken them years mm -hmm. to do the sculpting, but the sculptor is Saban Howard. Saban, he's my friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Saban Howard is the one doing it. And okay. I'm no expert, but I imagine that there's probably not a, uh, someone at his level of sculpting uh, left. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, nobody's doing what Saban does, and he's, he's amazing. But this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is the kind of art that I love to see. You know, it's, it, it makes a statement. And, um, you know, Saban works so hard. So, I mean, I, I'm, go for him, man. Kudos. <laughs> cool. Do we have any uh, other additional questions? I mean, I mean, I mean, what I can say is I, I'm not going to talk about there's contextualism and there's formalism when you look at arts. And this, this is the standard form of critiquing when you go to university. You can look at the context, which is the meaning and the emotions and what you're talking about. 
And then there's formalism. I'm talking about the formalism, the actual technique and then the skill associated with it. That's what I care about. So the actual technique of it, I mean, I'm glad to see actual art that requires, you know, this assiduous effort that I can respect because, you know, like anything else, you know, like, um, like my mother, she's a classical composer and she plays, you know, 12 different instruments. And that was training. That was, you know, that was, that's technique. And for some reason, the art industry, you know, it's once, the, you know, uh, art in the social world was written <laughs> with the art universities, Frankfurt School came in. It's now this thing where it's about, you know, just pure expression. And I think that's a cop-out for actual art. You need to learn the rules to break the rules, like anything else. You know, you need to first get this tool belt, and once you have this aesthetic ability, then you can utilize it to create your own voice. But the problem is too many people aren't actually getting that skill, which is why a lot of these art schools, you know, you'll attend these programs and it's all theory. You know, it's all, it's like, there's all these different courses being taught, but it's all theory. It's like, you need to put your time in the studio. And, and we're, we're going away from that. And that's my main gripe with the traditional art education as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I know what you're talking about too. Yeah, and, and their political disposition often implies what kind of artists they're going to pick. Uh, we don't have any questions from our online audience, and if there's no further questions uh, from the in-person audience, can we give one more round of applause Thank to you. Mr. Lee? So again, I would like to thank Mr. Lee for joining us today, as well as the audience for joining us. Uh, if you are interested in attending any of our other upcoming events, uh, or making a gift to IWP, or even applying to one of our graduate programs, please feel free, uh, feel free excuse me, to visit iwp.edu. Thank you, everybody, and get home safe and uh, stay dry as well.